Hello and welcome to the next episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Brazil and I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. And today, very, very cool guest. We have Tyson Gunter of USA Track and Field. Tyson is actually a Paralympian. So this is the first Paralympian I've had on the show and I'm super excited to get his um, opinion and, and learn his story and everything he's been able to do. Tyson is a, a great, great person. He really gives us an understanding of what his disability is like and what it's like growing up with it, um, what it's like becoming a Paralympian and how, honestly, how cutthroat the Paralympics are. Um, you know, he, he goes into it, the misconception of a lot of people thinking it's closer to the Special Olympics than the Olympics, but that is absolutely not the case. It is absolutely a very, very serious, very competitive field. Um, and he really gets to go into that with us as well as really just his story and how he's been able to compete with his disability, live with it, and really just push forward and, and some of the things he's doing. So also really what he's doing um, to make money, I guess, uh, his, his job and his career. So it's a lot of fun. Tyson was a great guest. Um, but first, have you ever wanted to launch your own podcast but didn't know where to start? If so, you're in luck because I've par personally partnered with launchingpodcasts.com, a step-by-step -step video course to easily launch your first podcast. I use this information from my, uh, the course to launch my podcast, and I've seen some absolutely amazing results giving you everything nuts to bolts, everything you need to launch your first podcast. Why did I create a podcast? so I could grow my brand, build new relationships, and become a thought leader in the space so people start to look to me for information. And now you can too. Head over to Launching Podcasts, that's podcasts with an S, dot com, and get $50 off by using my promo code Mike at checkout. That's launchingpodcasts.com, promo code Mike. Without further ado, here's Tyson. All right, today's special guest, Tyson Gunter, USA Track and Field Paralympian, born October 21st, 1986, grew up in McCammon, Idaho, grew up playing sports and was actually a kicker in high school and college as well. Spent two years on an LDS mission and went to college and was a walk-on um, as a kicker, as I said. He's been on Team USA since 2013 competed at the 2016 Paralympic Games and placed seventh in the 400 meter and currently secures sponsorship for a snowmobile racing team. Tyson, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. I appreciate it. Hey, man. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, appreciate you having me on. No, no. The pleasure is all mine. I've never been to the Olympics or the Paralympics, and one day I hope to get there. But until then, I get to talk to amazing people like you. So we'll see how it goes. Tokyo, pack your bags, man. I, I have it on my calendar. I promise you that, man. So um, enough about me. I, I, people listen to me every week or multiple times a week. We want to listen to you today. So Tyson, I guess one thing I was curious about, like, what is it like growing up in Idaho? I mean, you know, obviously what the TV tells me and the movies and how, you know, what, like seven people live there and they're probably all a part of your family, I guess, your brothers and mothers <laughs> yeah. and sisters. But, but I guess yeah, tell, yeah. Us, tell us what it was like growing up in Idaho and kind of being raised in that state specifically, I guess. Um, I mean, I don't know any different, but I loved it. I uh, mm -hmm. grew up on a dairy farm, so a lot of working. Um, we uh, we had talked, me and you, about how you grew up where there's a house every pretty much everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. we grew up. Neighbors were, I don't know, half mile down the road, and there's a couple little towns here. The high school I went to is made up of five or six little towns of like two or three or 400 people. Um, I was outside in between a couple of those towns, Paramo, mm -hmm. and uh, man, you just, you worked and then you found fun outside playing in the dirt or riding bikes or blowing stuff up I mean, <laughs> and maybe things that 
probably shouldn't be talked about. <laughs> we can no, edit. I'm... We can edit this. Don't worry. <laughs> Tell me everything, and uh, no. we'll 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 go from there. No, we just had a good time. Just found our own fun, you know, putting pennies on the railroad tracks and smashing them or whatever, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, um, I love it, man. Paper in neighbors' houses or friends' houses. Uh, so you, you kind of had to create your own fun a little bit. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, and, and we worked a lot. I mean, um, I was lucky enough that you know you work you went to school and then you played sports and that kind of and you know uh, volunteered at church or did community or church functions Mm -hmm. Um, that was kind of what we did Um, maybe once a year we would we'd get out and go for a a week to Oregon or Utah or Colorado on a, a little family vacation but um most of our entertainment was through through sports and just locally here. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I guess just for just for my mind's sake, where if I'm looking at a map of Idaho, where did you live? Uh, southeast. So we're about two oh, okay. hours or 150 miles north of Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, so that's the airport. Salt Lake City's. I mean, there's some regional airports here, mm-hmm. but that's that's kind of the um, main hub. Okay. Salt Lake City. So we're two hours from Salt Lake City and about three and a half hours from Boise. Oh, that's not terrible. That that seems like a little bit closer to, I guess, people is the nice way to say it. Civilization yeah. would have said, it sounded kind of mean. I'll go with, you're a little bit closer to people. But yeah, two yeah, hours from Salt Lake City. I mean, that's a pretty big city, right? So like if you yeah, needed to, yeah. you could always go and, and, and find some fun for a weekend. So very cool. And how many... Um, so uh, how big was your family? Because it sounds like you guys weren't obviously secluded, but it sounds like you spent a lot of time together. So what, what was your, your family makeup like? No, uh, no, definitely not secluded. We, and we're about 25 miles from uh, Pocatello, and that's like 50,000 people. So okay, I mean, okay. We have some shopping and mm-hmm. whatever you need um, up there. But I'm the youngest of seven. Seven. Five brothers and a sister. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm the youngest. And that's kind of where as we get into talking about my disability or, and, uh, and that stuff, growing up as the youngest, I just saw all my siblings doing all this stuff, whether it was working or playing sports or working on snowmobiles or four wheelers or cars or whatever they did. Um, I just kind of wanted to follow and do what they did. Like mm-hmm. any other kid that's the youngest of that many siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, so got, picked on a lot I guess uh, (laughs) everybody says you know I'm spoiled and I I might be but Ah. I got my fair share of uh teasing and butt kickings and all that it it absolutely goes both ways don't worry I've always noticed um with many of these interviews and and even just kind of throughout my life it's always the youngest that ends up being the best athlete because they have to play up to their brothers and sisters right like my my youngest cousin where there were five boys and we would pick on him the most jokes on us. He was the one that was the best at sports, you know, come 16, 17, 18, because if you ask us, we taught him everything he knows. Oh, of, course. of course. Right. Um, but no, so I guess that's, that's uh, just an easy segue. If you don't mind telling us a little bit about your, your disability albinism, um, kind of what it's meant to you, what exactly are the drawbacks, I guess, and kind of how, how have you been able to deal with that? Um, ever since, I guess, figuring it out, as you said, because you really never knew until you knew, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. My parents didn't know, even until, um, I think they said I was a month or two old or something, and they're kind of like, what's, what's 
going on? You know, something's a little off or whatever. Because mm-hmm. uh, I guess my other siblings like to just lay around in the, the sun, come through the window or whatever, and I didn't. Um, so albinism is a, is a lack of pigment in the skin. Um, so it comes with so it comes with with the lack of pigment, and so um, that also affects the eyes. So I don't have pigment in my eyes, which um, I don't know all the specific details, but I guess there's there's some pigment which allows the eyes to darken when the, when it's bright outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have that, and so my eyes are very light sensitive. So that was where that part where I didn't I never like to be in the light or around the light. I mean. I guess from a, a vision standpoint, I mm-hmm. like to be in the light, but um, from a vision standpoint, it's very hard for me to keep my eyes open or see. Um, and and so that's kind of part of that. And then another thing that comes along with albinism typically is is a vision impairment. I don't know all the details and why that happens, but I have nystagmus where my eye um, my eyes aren't stable; they they move back and forth. And the brain's a powerful thing, so I mm. don't see. I mean, I see like my vision isn't moving. Mm-hmm. What I see is just stable, but my eyes do move back and forth, and that causes my brain to not be able to pick up everything it should. And then I have um, also I have astigmatism and astigmatism, so the shape of my my eye is, is off. Mm-hmm. And that's what the glasses that I have correct. Um, I don't have a lot of correction in my my glasses. Um, a lot of people with albinism choose not to wear glasses because they don't feel like it helps, and it doesn't much. But I feel like it helps enough mm-hmm. that that I do wear them. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if there's yeah. any little thing that you can improve, why not? Right? Like, obviously, right. I don't know the cost of these glasses or anything, but at the same time, you only get to see, you know, seventy five percent of the day, you might as well try and make it as good as possible, right? Yeah. Yeah, kinda how I feel like and, and part of it may be a comfort thing just because mm-hmm. I, I have been wearing glasses since I was like four months old or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of it may be comfort and part of it is it, it does uh help a little with my vision. Very cool. And very cool. So, th- so thank you for being open, honest and intimate about that. Really appreciate it. I mean, obviously, it's something you've dealt with your whole life, but it's still, um, you know, new, new to us. Uh, many of the listeners, I can guarantee it, uh, have really never come in contact with someone with this. So it's good to know and, and learn and understand something like that. So how, you know, competing in sports, obviously, as we said, you were a, a uh, kicker in high school you went and you walked on at college and you were um, competing to be a kicker there. I mean, you don't, that doesn't happen by mistake, right? Like that, that's not something just anybody can do. Clearly you have the natural ability and the talent. Um, but at the same time, being able to do that with a, a lack of eyesight is pretty impressive. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about what your life has been like trying to compete slash competing in, in multiple different sports and how it's really been able to, you know, open up different doorways for you. Um, I didn't know any different growing up mm-hmm. in a small area and having my older siblings that I always watched and messed around with. It just, it kind of, it kind of wasn't evident to me that I had anything that was different until I got a little older. Um, I loved basketball. I loved baseball. Baseball was probably the first sport that I, when I was playing in, uh, like, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade ish. 
that I started to realize that crap, you know, like how are people playing this sport, you know? Because mm-hmm. I didn't realize that people saw differently. Um, and so I just thought it was like, oh, I need to practice more. I need to do whatever. But then, um, you know, conversations with family or parents or, and uh, eye doctors and started to realize, okay, this is, this is something that kind of sucks. And I was pretty upset about it for, you know, a while when I kind of started realizing that I wasn't going to be able to do everything I wanted to do. Um, so started picking and choosing what sports I could play, stayed playing basketball until I was about a sophomore in high school. And I still love playing for fun. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but in high school, when you start getting to the JV and varsity level, it was even in small Idaho, it, the pace of the, the game and the, the bright lights really bothered me in basketball. Um, I'm pretty tall, so I was always uh, a good at rebounding, but the bright lights was made that tough to see the ball. And mm-hmm. Football, I, I love football. Um, started as a tight end because of my size, mm-hmm. and uh, they threw the ball to me a lot, or not a lot, but I, I didn't catch it very much, and that was frustrating <laughs> for me. Um, and I kind of tease my brother. My oldest brother is a football coach in high school, and and he helped me along, and along with my other siblings, but, you know, they helped me along with learning how to kick because they saw that that may be something that I could do because the ball is always in the same place. The field goal posts are always in the same place. They don't, they don't move. Um, but I was teasing, like, man, you should have told me to put on 100 pounds and I could have been a lineman because, hmm. you know, I feel like I'm pretty athletic and I could have went pretty far um, as a lineman and not have to worry about seeing all this stuff. But, but uh, I enjoyed kicking and then track and field obviously became the one thing. It's an independent sport, so I didn't have to worry about my teammates being frustrated because I couldn't see something. Um, it was all on me if I messed up or if I couldn't see it. And um, between being blessed with some athleticism and working really hard at my vertical jump and my speed, uh, that became a pretty good sport for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, saw. I mean, you've been to the world championships a couple times, if I'm not mistaken. You've gotten medals, correct? Yeah. At, uh, in certain events at the world championships, obviously, um, you know, going to the Paralympics is no, you know, laughing matter. Of course, I mean, that's some pretty extreme competition you got there. So, um, from from that point, if you don't mind telling us, and and you've told me already off camera, but I'm curious, what is it like? Like, because again, like I, I don't want to sound ignorant, but I kind of am on the subject, like. I never assumed that the Paralympics was like the Special Olympics, obviously, but at the same time, I don't really know much about the Paralympics. So that's just kind of, unfortunately, the way I have assumed it's closer to the Special Olympics than the Olympics, but you have told me that that is 100% not the case. And the competition and and the ferocity, ferocity? Sounds like a word. Um, the cutthroatness, um, another possible word, um, is, is extremely high. So I guess tell us what it's like, not specifically the time you went, but what it is like being a Paralympian on Team USA um, and really competing at a very, very high level. Um, I was uneducated about it too, to be honest. I was uh, a Division One track and field athlete. I walked on to Idaho State University, got a scholarship the next year and uh, went through as a, what they what now I know they called able body track and field. And I'd been contacted once or twice through college about the Paralympics, but I was, I kind of thought it was something similar to the Special Olympics, but 
after getting involved in it, have realized that it is, is very cutthroat, like you said. Um, the Paralympics is for, it's part of the U.S. Olympic Committee. So it's funded through the same funding that comes to the Olympic athlete, comes to the Paralympic athlete. Um, as far as travel and other things, mm-hmm. um, there's some things that aren't the same, but that just, as a marketing person, I get it because we don't get a lot of the same viewership and stuff like that. But, um, um, but we have the same resources as far as uh, facilities, uh, coaches, things like that. Very cool. Um, so yeah, it's and, not, you guys aren't messing around. You guys and girls are not messing around at all. This is right. Yeah. And, and I didn't know that I was, yeah. I was educated on it pretty quickly. Um, it's for people with, with physical disabilities. Um, most people are familiar with, with amputees or blade runners and wheelchair racers, but there's vision impairments involved in that as mm-hmm. well. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like you work hard and if you don't make the cut based on world standards, you don't go. You don't go to training. You don't get the, the travel paid for. Um, you don't get access to some of the coaching and stuff. And so it's very much a an elite sport for people with physical disabilities. That's awesome. That is that is really great to know and great to understand because again, you know, I was not very educated on it. So I appreciate you really, um, yeah. you know, dropping some knowledge, if I may, and okay. giving us. I think a lot of people aren't um, with the the TV rights. Just, I think uh, in 2008, and I could be wrong about this, but I think that was the first time there was any Paralympic stuff on TV, and it was mm-hmm. a very, very short amount of time. But now NBC has, uh, you know, with the, the last winter Paralympic Games in Pyeongchang, they broadcast a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the, the exposure is becoming a lot better for people to be more educated on mm-hmm on what the Paralympics is and the kind of the cool interest, uh, human interest stories and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean the, the, the stories, I mean, that's half of the reason I personally watch is just to hear all the stories from the athletes, um, you know, specifically talking about the Olympics. Um, you know, I did notice that the Paralympics was on and I'm not going to lie. I, I turned it on for a couple of minutes, thought, wow, that's incredible. And then probably went to something else because after watching right. the Olympics for three straight weeks, which is what yeah. I do every two years, right. it's kind of almost like I exhausted it. In my opinion, again, being from a marketing background like yourself, if they put that on before the Olympics and got the hype train rolling, I think that the, the viewership would be significantly higher. But at the same time, I understand the, the logistics and all of that isn't quite as easy as just, no, we'll just put it on earlier. Like obviously yeah, you know, yeah. there's a lot more uh, that goes into it, but, at the same time, you know, it's definitely, um, again, after, after watching the Olympics for three straight weeks, it's, it's difficult to then just be like, let's keep watching it. So, you know, I uh, never thought of that, but that's a very good point. Right. Cause point. you could get, you could get the hype train rolling a little bit because people are, you're always itching for the Olympics before it's there. And if you could give me some sort of taste, and as you said, just more stories and interesting, interesting storylines, I'm not going to lie to you, Tyson. We kind of know that the, the Paralympics are not going to get the same amount of, of right. viewership as the Olympics. But at the same time, if we can get people to watch it and, and see it, I think the viewership would be significantly higher and combined, it would be higher for both. I just, it's just my opinion, obviously. I, again, logistics run a, a huge part of that and, and how it works, but I think it'd be pretty cool. You never know. Yeah. We'll see though. So tell us about your time, the 2016 games. This was in Rio, correct? And you got to go and, and, and hang out there and, and do everything. Like, uh, tell us about it. What was the opening ceremonies? Like, what were the people like? What was the experience? Like, what was your competition? Like, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. 
Oh, I, I loved it, man. It was, it was awesome. Um, and, and it was a little different for me because I'm a, I'm a high jumper and a long jumper. Um, but with the Paralympics, because there's different disability classes, they only have so much time to hold each event. So they'll have high jump for a few different disability classes. And we only compete against other people that have our same or similar disability. Mm -hmm. So, um, so unfortunately the high jump and long jump wasn't an option in Rio because some committee decided that it it shouldn't be. Uh, So I didn't even know if I was going to go, um, 400, I'd ran a couple of times in college and, thankful to my coach uh coach nelson that that made me do it even though i hated it in college it propelled me into the point where training for rio i knew i could make the team it was a little bit disappointing because i was going from i could win a gold medal to i might not get on the team um Mm -hmm. but worked hard made the team uh awesome experience never want to train for the 400 again miserable but the experience was worth every minute of it. That is awesome. And I guess like what, tell, tell us about the, the welcome from all the people there in Brazil and in Rio and kind of what that entailed and how they were able to really like shower you guys with, with love and support you guys and girls with love and support while you were, I mean, it's immediately after the, the Olympics was there. Like how, how, how was that experience? Like, and what, what did you, what did you gain from that? Uh, people were stoked. I think, like you said, if they're watching it on TV, they kind of get tired of it or it gets old, but, and, and even some of the community, but the people that are there and the people that traveled to Rio specifically for the Paralympics, I mean, they just loved it. You know, you think about, and it is a, a, an up and coming country. They don't have a lot of money there. And so I think two huge events within two months was just awesome for them. Um, everybody was smiling going into the stadium for the opening ceremonies the the people that couldn't get into the stadium it was packed sold out were just lining the streets and they walk us down outside the stadium to come into the stadium for when they announce the country and people just line the streets just cheering and you know chanting USA and stuff and it kind of gives you that like crazy tingly butterfly feeling mm-hmm. you're like holy crap this is real you know like people love america for the most part and we kind of have a duty to make sure they keep loving america mm-hmm. and instead of thinking we're the best which you know i think we are the best but we just need to you know support other countries mm-hmm. too because they, they definitely love america so that is kind of opened my eyes to that and mm-hmm. then walking into the stadium i mean they told us not to use our cell phones or video anything, but I was Please. Like, I can't not. Yeah, you know? right? Like, maybe the next one, I'll just take it in. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I'm going into something that I've watched on TV since I was little. Man, I got to get this on tape. <laughs> That's awesome. No, That's man. Cool. That is super, super cool. I mean, just being able to to do that. And as you said, you know, I, you know, whether which side of the media you listen to, some people say something, the other people say other things. You know, I do believe that in general, um, you know, we are, at least the people of America are mostly loved, I think. Um, obviously, yeah. certain people less than others, naturally, that's right. just how it works. But that works for any country like that. But I think it's cool. And I'm glad you got that opportunity to really see it and feel it and understand, you know, what what it was like and really just be able to, as you said, it's our duty to 
for them to keep loving America. That falls on us right. as people. Right. Um, so I think that that's very important. And it sounds like you did a pretty, pretty great job at that, um, you know, competing and, and, you know, strutting your stuff a little bit. So I think that that's extremely, extremely important. Um, tell us about the competition. And I guess, you know, you, you, you said it before, like you went from the potential of winning a gold medal to a potentially not even making the team. Did that, did that, did that motivate you even more to make sure that you made the team at all costs considering what could have been, I guess. I mean, I don't like looking back and saying, well, what if, but I mean, it's, it's something extremely out of your control. Nothing you can do. Like how did that affect your training? As you said, which was miserable um, leading up to the Olympics and then even the competition there. Um, I had to make a decision in, I think about 2014, if I was going to keep trying to go, um, because I was like, I could put on all this work and not make the team. Like that's a that's a real possibility. Uh, so it was just uh, once I made the decision, and it's hard too because um, there isn't a lot of funding, so I have to have a job to support. I have a wife and a little boy. He hadn't been born at that time yet. But, um, so it's tough to, to get off work and then go and put in the time that we need to put in. So there was a lot of days. Uh, I. I we are very lucky to have access to a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I didn't utilize that off as much as I should have, but I did utilize it and they were very helpful. And my coach was very encouraging and my wife was very encouraging. She was a, an athlete at Idaho State. That's where we met was mm-hmm. the track. And so once I committed, I just, I knew I had to because it got to the point where it's like, I'm not going to put in all this work and pain and, you know, leaving throwing up after practice and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and then not make the team. And so I I did everything I could. And then I guess in my mind, I said, if I'm not going to make it, at least I know I did everything I could. Mm -hmm. No, I I respect the heck out of that. And then competition wise, it was, it was difficult. You know, you always want to do better than you you do. I feel like as an athlete, but I feel like I, I put it out there, you know, um, one thing that's different that people may not realize is, so there was only, I think there was nine or 10 total in my disability class, which is called P13, if anybody mm-hmm. can track at home. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody, there was about 10, 10 of us in our class that made it to the Paralympic Games. So people look at that and they're like, oh, there's only 10 people in the world doing that, but that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of people doing it, but there was only 10 that made it to the game. So, mm-hmm. so um, maybe there was eight. I, I don't remember. It was somewhere in that area. So I didn't get last, which was good. <laughs> and, but even if I would have, I still wouldn't have been, you know, last in the world, obviously. Yeah. I, I, if you got last out of the so, top 10 in the world, that makes you top 10 in the world. Like, yeah. that's like I, I understand everyone is gunning for a medal. Everyone's gunning for first place, let's right, be honest. Right. But one thing that frustrates me, and, and sorry to take away from your time a little bit, is just that there's so much emphasis put on medals when I think we should just be celebrating the people that went there more than anything because I think that's the most important. You put in all the work. As you said, you threw up after practice, what, every, almost every day for however many years Too many to get times. there. Um, so I don't, I don't care if you got a medal. I respect and appreciate you just going there and competing. And as you said, you know, giving your duty to make sure that people around the world still love and, and respect America for what it is. So, um, you know, sorry about that. A little, little tangent on my end. No, I, I agree really, with you. Yeah. sincerely appreciate it. And being on both spectrums, you know, at the World Championships, they did offer the high jump, which was my best event, mm-hmm. and I got two two silver medals. Um, 
and you know being in both spectrums obviously uh, winning a medal is the end goal and that's part of that that cutthroat like hey this at the end of the day this is a business and in the u.s um, the olympic committee is a privately funded organization it mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the government in other countries it's funded through the government and so as a business person i totally understand that at the end of the day it's about what you do mm-hmm. as far as getting a medal um, but there definitely is a place for people who may not medal but are on the team because mm-hmm. make the team is is definitely um, a big deal and being on the team you're giving exposure for your country um, maybe not as much as a, a medalist but there's still exposure and so um, I think there is definitely a balance in going from a medalist to barely making the team I definitely saw the difference in, mm-hmm. in how all that happened yeah yeah absolutely no that's that's great perspective I appreciate that um so here's a question, and this is just because I'm not super familiar with the subject. Do do the events in the Paralympics ever change, or is it set? Like, will you ever be able to compete in the long jump or the high jump? Or that's a good question. Um, yes. Yeah, so in 2017, we went to London, and that's where I high jumped again. So that was after Rio. Mm-hmm. They brought the high jump back. Oh uh, well, that's frustrating. The, yeah. yeah and so it's kind of like. <laughs> you're not even sure what event you're going to do. So I was uh-huh. going to be done. I was going to retire after 2017. Then they announced for Tokyo, they're going to have the long jump. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2019 at the world championships, I'll have the long jump. And so I, I committed, I was going to be done, but then I said, you know what? I like long jumping. I, I'm pretty good at it. Not as good as a high jump, but if I put in the work, then Hey, we can go for a medal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so I just, I decided to do that. So thankfully they let us know, uh, two and a half years in advance mm-hmm. that long jumps can be in Tokyo. So that kind of gives me an idea versus me saying, Oh man, I don't know. I'm training for nothing mm-hmm. or, or what. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. So it sounds so like yeah, you're, so it does change around a lot and mm-hmm. uh, it would be nice if it was stable, but yeah, it, it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, again, it's creative to have the opportunity that a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. It's completely out of your control. So obviously take it when it comes. And, and obviously, as you said, it, um, you know, it got to where you needed to be and, and timing is usually everything. And it sounds like you hit it at a very good time. So tell us, um, what is it, what do you need to do? And, and what is the qualification process specifically either for the Paralympics for your, um, well, I'm sorry, disability group. That sounds a little silly. What What was the name of it? Like I don't. Yeah, uh, T- it's T13. T13. I mean, okay. Uh, a competition class or competition class. class. Okay, yeah, thank however you. However you want to. I mean. No, a competition class. I like that. How um. Most people won't get offended if you say disability. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is what it is. I've I'm sure I've offended a couple people along the way, and I'm sorry to anyone that I have. But um, yeah, tell us like what what the qualification process is like specifically for the Paralympics or, or in your experience, I mean, what do you need to do moving forward uh, to make sure that you're a part of that, that 2020 team and that you'll be there and, and competing in your second Paralympic games? Yeah. It's very similar in, in some ways. It's similar to regular track and field where the, the trials are going to be a month or two before uh, the Paralympic games in Tokyo. So 
the games will be in September, the trials will be in July, maybe June, depending on how they play it. So, um, and then this year we have the World Championships as well as the Pan America Games or the Para Pan America Games. Um, so it'll be the same. Our World Championships are in Dubai, which is sweet. Oh yeah, but it's so hot there. Uh-huh. We can't have it till November. So mm-hmm. it may be a little bit different um, this year, but I think I heard that July will be the trials, and and that's the meet. You know, no matter how well you do before or after that, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You have to perform at the trials in order to make the team. Um, how it's different from regular track and field is we are competing against every other disability class in the U.S. because let's say the U.S. only gets, I don't know the exact number I'm just saying, but let's mm-hmm. say we only get 50 athletes, 50 slots to go to the world championships. Well, if there's only two of us that or three of us that are visually impaired in my E13 class, you would think, okay, all three will go. Kind of like in the regular mm-hmm. track and field where top three go, right? But because the whole Team USA only gets 50 slots, they take, they have a formula where they enter our, our performance at the meet and they take the top 50 people percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that very so, well. So they'll take... So there's a standard. So each class has a certain standard. So mm-hmm. let's just say for, for me in the long jump, my A standard would be... Um, seven meters in the long jump so what if i jumped 680 six meters 80 they would divide seven into 680 and then that would be a percentage mm-hmm. um, so let's say i don't know what it is but 680 is 90 percent of seven meters right so each disability class has their own a standard and they take that percentage based on the competition so my 90 percent and then they they put it up against Mm-hmm. Um, you know other people like Jared Wallace who is our, our top one of the best sprinters in the world so he's going to get over 100% probably on his standard mm-hmm. so they it, and then at the 50th person they cut it off okay so it's typically about 90 to 95% if you get 90 to 95% of your standard at that trials meet you're most likely to go okay and so essentially, that okay. no, 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 I know. I think that actually makes, it definitely makes sense. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to actually explain that. So it sounds like they're go- the, the USOC is combining all track and field athletes into kind of one lump sum and saying, Correct. these are the 50 athletes we think will do the best within their given sport. Now, does that mean zero people from long jump go or, or three people from long jump That's go? Awesome. It doesn't matter. Yep. Right. Yep. Awesome. Okay, so yeah, they're just taking the 50 best across the board, and I, I appreciate the explanation of percentages that actually makes it makes it understandable who they pick and why they pick and, and, and right. their reasoning behind it, but essentially they're just trying to, again, as you said, it's a business, trying to get as many medals as possible, because that's, yeah. that's how we get more, more coverage, so very cool. And, and, and we have a very, very competitive um, amputee class, whether it's, it's double leg or single leg amputees, mm-hmm. and a very competitive wheelchair class, mm-hmm. and so... To get in that, um, like I said, I don't know if it's 50, it could be 80, whatever it ends up mm-hmm. Um And it's split between male and female, so there's, you know, but um, it's, it's difficult to get into that. And so it is kind of a, you got to work hard. Heck yeah. Makes it, makes it fun, 
but it also is like I see, you know, my friend down there that's training and he's a double amputee. Well, I got to work just as hard as him because I'm competing against him to get mm-hmm. Yep. No, I mean, that's competition breeds excellence. I'm all about it. I love that. So, hey, good stuff. Thank you. Sincerely appreciate you explaining that. Um, so, clearly, we're crossing our fingers for you, Tyson. 2020 is well, literally it. right around the corner. I mean, as of today, it's the 28th of December. This episode probably won't come out until January sometime. Um, so, I mean, a year and change, and we're uh, expecting to see you on the TV, man. How's that sound? I, I hope so. I hope so. That's I the, love it. the goal. Um, so the last topic I'd like to talk about, don't want to keep you all day is uh, your current role. As I said, you currently secure sponsorships for a, um, a snowmobile racing team. Um, tell us a little bit about that, kind of what you're doing as we've already alluded to your sports and marketing background. Um, you know, tell us, tell us what you do there and, and how this job specifically works within your schedule of still being able to train at the, the, the highest possible level that you can. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy sports marketing and I have been uh, growing up in Idaho we get snow in the winter and one of the things we like to do is snowmobile and snowmobile racing has been in my family my uncle raced and um, so so I got this opportunity to work for it's, it's like motocross but on snowmobiles mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. jumps hills all that stuff um, the team is called Woody's Racing we race Articat snowmobiles and my boss understands that, that I'm training as well. Um, where it's in the winter, it works out well because a lot of our racing is in the winter. We mm-hmm. do some events in the, in the summer, but we're very heavily uh, based in the winter. So I can do some of my off-season training in the winter after work. It's still hard because it gets dark and it's mm-hmm. cold. And, um, finding facilities for training can be hard sometimes, but works out well. And then in the summer, I'll still work, but be able to dedicate more time to traveling to competitions and, and things like that. So works out very well. And I'm really lucky to be able to have this position. Um, half the time I do seek out sponsorship for our team. Um, and then right now, because we are a new team, uh, um, some of the more established teams already have the sponsors. Mm-hmm. We never have enough sponsors. Of course. They have what they, what they need. Um, so now I spend about half the time seeking sponsorship and the other half the time um, working with our current sponsors to make sure we are um, activating correctly mm-hmm. and, and representing them in a, in a positive way. Very cool. And that sounds like, yeah, as you said, that, uh, you know, you already alluded to earlier working from home. So that helps. Um, yeah. And, you know, it just sounds like it's, it's kind of that perfect marriage between what you need and, and what you want out of life and that's always extremely important and it sounds like you enjoy both sides of it the the, yeah, the sports marketing side as well as the training side yeah sometimes the training isn't as fun but, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but it, it's part of it you know mm-hmm. part of the deal. very cool and then i guess just uh, on that topic what is this something that you see as long term is this something that is kind of the I don't want to say placeholder while you're training, but I mean, obviously sports marketing is in your future, right? And we understand as athletes, you're not going to, as we as athletes, please, you as an athlete understand that, Everybody you know, is an athlete. You're uh, just at your own level. Just yeah, right. my level is pretty low then, but, um, you know, so, so what yeah. moving forward after these next couple games, potentially 2020, 2024, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, what, what do you see for the future and kind of what are you, what are your goals for the future after your athletic career comes to an end? Uh, I, I do love marketing. And if this position is, is a lot has to do with me, 
Um, so if I, well, partially me, if I can do a really good job and bring in the sponsorship, it'll be a long-term position. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, part of it is out of my control in the sense that um, sponsorship is very much driven by viewership and um, what what we can give back to the sponsors as far as value. And so some of that is out of my control because, mm-hmm. you know, I can't force people to come to a race or watch it on TV or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we have, a, like I said, our, our owners um, of the team are, are great and they're willing to try new things as far as adding value to sponsors. And so kind of hoping that it's a long-term thing. Um, but I, I get it that if I can't add the value that they need, then I wouldn't expect them to keep me on a, in a position. And so, um, so I want to, I would love to run my own either team or company or business or something someday. I love marketing and I love the entrepreneurship. So I think there's an opportunity sometimes to put those together. I would really like that. Um, so, hey. And, uh, but for now, uh, snowmobile racing, Woody's racing, that's, that's the gig. Not bad. Sounds like you enjoy it. That's the important long time. Heck yeah. I love it. And as you said, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, mostly on you, you know, as long as you can give the value and and keep creating the sales, this could absolutely be a long-term thing, you know, hopefully, and you you can, you can kind of take it away and and go with the sport. So Tyson, thank you so much. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time today. One more time. We have Tyson Gunter, USA track and field Paralympian gunning for 2020 in Tokyo. Uh, Tyson, sincerely, sincerely, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. No, I really appreciate the time. And I know you've done a lot of great podcasts with, uh, with Olympians. And I appreciate the fact that you're willing to bring on a Paralympian. Um, I think it's, it's really cool of you to do. And I hope that we can kind of spread the word about what the Paralympics is about and get people, people watching it. I'm all for it, man. I'm 100% for it. So sincerely, Tyson, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Tyson Gunter. Um, super cool. I'm glad we got a Paralympian on. I'm sure we're going to have a lot more in the future. Uh, he was a, such a cool guest and really had a lot to share and a lot to do. So I'm excited that we were able to do that. So Tyson, uh, please follow him on all his socials, including his LinkedIn. He's pretty active there. I'll have all of that in the show notes. Please follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter uh, to check out some of the things that we have coming along and some of the stuff in the pipeline. Um, Make sure to rate, review, comment, share, subscribe, do whatever you have to do to really push this out there. And and it takes two seconds for you to rate it. Believe me, I've done it enough times on my friends' phones that I would appreciate it if you could do it on yours. Um, And that really does help us and with the iTunes algorithm, bump it up and more people will be able to hear amazing stories like Tyson's, but also all the other 60, 70, 80 episodes that we have and will be having in the future. So um, also, again, one more time, launchingpodcasts.com. Really glad that we were able to partner with them. Uh, Go there if you're interested in starting your own podcast, promo code Mike for $50 off. So not do that. So thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful day.